0: Uh, last week I talked some about uh, really having tea with Mara, like working with some of the difficulties, and and this week there's there's a wonderful teaching by Thich Nhat Han, which is it's not enough to suffer; you have to touch peace and happiness too. So this is this week's really about the nature of happiness. The Dalai Lama, for many of you, many of you might remember this because he's one of the kind of emanations of happiness. He kind of embodies it at times, that and compassion. And he wrote a book about the art of of happiness and was here in town in Washington several years ago and some of the news reporters were interviewing about his book and one of the questions they asked him really was if they would share with the listening public his happiest moment. So he sat there and he got this mischievous look that he gets. (laughs) And he said, "Mm, I think now. (laughs) And and I loved that. I loved that response. It's very much, and it's in a lot of teachings. There's another um, story about a Hasidic master who died and one of his disciples was asked by somebody attending the funeral what was, you know, the most important moment, or what was the most important thing to our master, and the response is really whatever he happened to be doing in the moment, you know, so it's the same idea that there is a relationship to happiness and this capacity for being right here. The Dalai Lama starts a lot of his talk saying everybody wants to be happy and nobody wants to suffer. And it's interesting because our habit often is to be so used to the way we normally feel that we want to be happy but we forget what's really possible. It's kind of like we've resigned ourselves in a certain way. And I love one, one of the, the teachings that the Buddha offered was, he said, I would not teach this path this path of really touching true happiness were it not your potential, were it not possible. So that's the invitation. Now there's strong cross-currents at play in our lives in terms of happiness. And and as we'll we'll explore tonight we have a, a capacity for a very profound and liberating quality of happiness. And we don't have to wait, it's not something you have to train in, it's there takes a kind of a shift in perspective. But we also have a habit, as I've described before, and it's very much conditioned by evolution, to fixate on what's wrong. And so our memory is designed to remember the bad stuff. And it takes a lot more for us to really recall something wonderful and beautiful. It's been described that we're Velcro for unpleasant experience and of course, Teflon for (laughs) the pleasant experience. So we often glance right over life's beauty and and there's some value in this remembering of what went wrong, it helps us to navigate and survive and so on but it's also really limiting, like for many of us we're very hitched, our happiness is very hitched to others' approval and so let's say we do something, a project, or let's say me, I give a talk, and let's say 20 people say, you know, that really helped, that really struck home. And one person said, you know, I didn't really understand. I mean, it seemed really unclear when you were talking about such and such. What do you think I'll remember for the next (laughs) three months or three years, you know? It's like, we just latch on. Linguistics professor was lecturing to his class one day. Uh, He said, in English, a double negative forms a positive. In some languages, though, such as Russian, a double negative is still a negative. However, there's no language wherein a double positive can form a negative. Voice from the back of the room pipes up, Yeah, right. (laughs) In addition to almost everything else recently about meditation and moods and forgiveness, there's a lot of research that's been done on happiness. And it's very interesting. Uh, I'll be talking a little bit about it. But one of the core qualities that has been found that's like a common denominator for all people that are happy is an intention towards happiness. And by that, not like a grasping, like, I gotta get happy. It's actually very different than that. There's this intention to, to appreciate, to savor, to be in that quality of being, that being state that's happiness. There's an intention towards that. It's very clearly not hitched to externals. In other words, trying to be happy because something specific should happen in order for it to be the case. So let's take a little pause right now so you can do, reflect in your own life about the um, kind of quality or nature of happiness and then I'll keep going. Just take a moment and... I really value the pauses when we can just check in on what's real for us. And so this is kind of an honest inquiry to begin with, just to sense for yourself, do you, in your own mind, sense that you are happy or that you experience happiness often? maybe just look at today and yesterday was there happiness? can you sense what the inner and our outer circumstances are for you that actually are part of being happy? what needs to be in place? Are you happy right now? If you bring to mind the happiest person you know, just for a moment, just, and maybe it's you, but maybe it's not, just bring the person to mind, what makes it possible for the happiest person you know to be happy? What are kind of the conditions? Keep considering this. I'm just gonna. I um, wasn't planning on doing this, but if you open your eyes, um, just ask you to say what are some of the con- what makes for the happiest person you know? What is it about them or about life? Just a word or two. I mean, just just raise your hand. I'll point. Yeah. Gratitude. That person is filled with gratitude. Yeah, gratitude. Can't, Tim. Overlooking. overlooking, not hitching to something bad, but overlooking. Nice word. It's a What's that? I a choice to be happy. Ah, yeah. She's five. She's five. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Present. Presence? Very present. Very present. Yeah. These are all good. Yeah. Who else? Yeah. Acceptance. Acceptance. So there's an accepting quality. Yeah. Yeah, please. I'm sorry? An intention. an intention. You can sense the intention. Right. Anyone on the balcony? Like to hear from above? <laughs> <laughs> no, Mike. You can speak loud. A deep love of life. A deep love of life. Okay, this is this is good. So, let me um, do a, le- give you a little bit of the classic teachings on happiness because I think they're really deep and powerful. Because the Buddha taught really about two different kinds of happiness, and the first is called pamoja. P-A-M-O-J-A. And it's a, ki- it's a worldly happiness. It's a happiness of uh, the sense experiences, of, of, thi- of having, for, it can be a good taste or it can be a beautiful image or whatever, but there's something that brings us happiness. It can be having a good experience with another person. But it's some, our happiness is conditioned by something and often it's very fleeting like a, a good taste or a perfectly aimed compliment you know, how long they last in us no, really, you're 66, you only look 64 you know, like that kind of thing, right? our happiness, our team wins a Super Bowl or something like that you know, it's interesting as they actually did research on men the biochemistry of men when their team wins and there's like a real upsurge in the, in the biochemistry that correlates with happiness when the team wins and if it doesn't last that long so, so the deal is that there's this one form of happiness that's hitched to conditions being a certain way. And we know conditions change, so it's temporary. But it can be quite wholesome. In other words, the capacity for Pamoja to have a real response to the condition, certain conditions is really can be very wholesome. And examples are, as you brought up, when there's appreciation of beauty or of goodness or feelings of gratitude, um, when somebody's been kind or happiness for another person's good fortune. Those are conditions, but they're And and we do meditations that actually are based on invoking certain moods based on, you know, paying attention to people we love in our mind. That's pamoja. But pamoja often is not healthy or wholesome. And that's because we fixate and we have to have things a certain way to be happy. And that's, uh, the Buddha described as trouble. Because it's dependent on a sense experience. Um, now, I'm going to go back to that, but first to say the deepest happiness the Buddha talked about is called sukha. Sukha. I like that. S-U-K-K-H-A. Sukha arises from natural presence. Sukha is not dependent on anything. In fact, when we're not depending on anything being a certain way, and there's presence and awakeness and an accepting of how things are in the moment, sukha naturally arises so sukha is a being state and that being state has naturally got that that flavor of happiness. When there's sukha there's no desire for anything to be different. It's the purity, right this moment, of enough. Okay? Now take a moment and sense, if you, when you hear about that can you sense the potential of this being state right here right now, even for a moment, of just enough. It's okay just as it is. Of just happy for no reason. That's sukha. And we are going to come back to sukha. But let's first um, explore pamoja and part of being able to wake up and sense our potential for happiness is to really get how we keep ourselves from it. And we keep ourselves from it by chasing after happiness in ways that are unwise. And every one of us on some level wants to be happy and has a way of moving through our life that actually gets in the way. The pursuit gets in the way. And this is the shadow side of of Pomoja, where we're trying to control our life, trying to get something, and at any moment that you're grasping after happiness, trying to have things a certain way, in that moment there's not the quality of presence that allows us to enjoy what's here. You can't be controlling life, you know, attached to a certain outcome and happy at the same time. So one student described happiness as um, trying to hold on to a moving rope and how you get rope burn. That's what happens with trying to chase after happiness. I think the best description is, if only mind. That when we are living in if only mind and for us it is very specific, if only I got the recognition I was seeking or if only the perfect partner or if only I lost that weight or if only, you know, financial security, that's always a really, a big one. I like the way Rita Rudner puts it she says, someday I want to be rich some people get so rich they lose all respect for humanity that's how rich I want to be you know <laughs> 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 so with, with the shadow side of Pamoja it's like we're, we're just narrowing and fixating and if only this then I'll be happy it's like in India that description of when a pickpocket sees a saint he sees a saint's pocket you know and and there's, a, there's another story that, that illustrates that I sometimes like to share of an older woman in Miami sitting on a park bench and a very disheveled guy with tattered clothing comes and sits down next to her. and So she asks him, so, how are you? you? know And he says, well, I'm just out of prison, been in prison for 25 years. And she said, oh, what are you in for? And he goes, murdering my wife. And she says, oh, so, you're single. You know? <laughs> So anyway, this, that's my example for tonight <laughs> Pamoja Ramdas, who many of you know who will be here now and so on describes how, you know, we get fixated but of course it does change over time it's like, the, the object changes but it's still fixation of wanting things a certain way or wanting something he describes an elderly man walking in the woods past a pond and, and there's this, psst, psst down here it's a frog. The frog says, if you kiss me I'll become a beautiful princess and I'll be yours for the rest of your life. So the guy picks up the frog and puts it in his pocket and he hears, psst, hey, aren't you going to kiss me? And the response is, well, at this point I'd rather a talking frog, <laughs> you know. <laughs> on the same vein I'll tell you one more is this very old couple and they're both two old people sitting in rockers and he's saying to her now you want to have an open marriage (laughs) (laughs) so it changes but there's this way in which our life contracts because we're fixated so our next reflection okay you ready (laughs) this is a, a checking in on if only mind so if you will close your eyes and just sense for you in your own life what if only is in the background or maybe the foreground in other words what are you waiting for to change or to happen so that then you can be happy what's currently wrong that you're waiting to be different or that you need to have happen it's like I described last night with health, so many of us, if they're in a phase of not being well, it's like in some way we're waiting to feel well, physically. What's your if-only mind? How much are you waiting for something or chasing after something? the understanding is that that to the degree our life energy is organized around having something different to that degree we are distanced from happiness that is possible right here Thoreau put it this way, he said, we spend our life fishing only to find it wasn't fish we were after so So I I mentioned uh, that there's been much research in recent days and I want to share just a few pieces of it that correlate in a really powerful way with the um, Buddhist teachings on happiness. And the first piece of research that most of you probably are familiar with is that we have a biochemical set point, all of us have a biochemical set point for moods, and that they don't change so much so that even when we get what we thought we wanted so much you know whether it's, you know, that perfect job or the perfect partner you know, we get a we, get a, we kind of spike up some but we settle back to the same set point point. and even when the thing happens that we think would be the worst thing in our whole life you know we could lose our sight or lose a loved one or, you know, lose, lose that job or whatever it is we crash but we come back to that set point. So that's one piece of research that's very interesting. There's a similar finding, and this is research again on the elderly, that with aging people generally get happier and not more grumpy. And the reason is that when we're younger we're more fixated on the future, on worries, on accomplishing, on what needs to be different, what we need to be happy. And with aging for many people there is more of an awareness of mortality and there is more of a sense that because of limited time there is a motivation to enjoy moments. This was uh, from Psychology Today about a year or two ago, a quote, We search for happiness in eager anticipation and joyful memories but we'd be better off paying attention to each moment as it passes. Western psychology is wising up, isn't it? (laughs) So that's the second piece. The third is that well-being has been over and over again linked to connectedness. Uh, Those that have a network of friends that feel some sense of belonging, if you have pets, if you're involved with service. And the common denominator again is it takes away the self-centeredness. There's not as much of a focus on me, what I need, what's going on for me. And I know that most of you have experienced how that is. That we, when we get pulled out of that egocentric thinking we are happier. We are never happy when we are thinking about ourselves all the time. There is research on generosity that it's much, we, we feel much better when we have given money away than when we spend money on something for ourselves. So That is the third piece, a lack of self-centeredness. And the fourth is the research on meditation when we practice some version of presence of being right here, right now when we relax the inner dialogue so there is not as much of the thinking about what we need, what we want, what's wrong there is a shift in the brain and they can see this with the blood flow from the... From where the brain shifts from the left prefrontal cortex to the right and that correlates with more moods of well-being there's a physiological shift to more we- moods of well-being, peace, happiness, and nutritive experiences. In other words, it changes our set point over time. Meditation changes your biochemical set point. Okay, so, now the Buddhist, the Buddhist correlations. The first, and these are called the three characteristics, and they describe... <coughs> They are the basic kind of description or truths that describe reality. And they have everything to do with our potential for happiness, okay? The first one is the teachings on dukkha. Dukkha is discontent or suffering. And the Buddha basically says we suffer because we want things different. Somebody mentioned acceptance. In the moments that we are wanting things different, we are not accepting, caring about, embracing the life that is here, They're suffering. We can't be happy. Okay? So that's the first. The second is called anicca, our change, which is this wisdom of recognizing it's changing, it's impermanent, it's going to pass. And again, this is where there's some wisdom in aging that's possible that allows us to then really cherish what's right here now. If we really get it, if you really get that this might be the last evening with someone that you love, ever you cherish the moments. The third characteristic is called anatta which is the the reality that there is no real separate self unless we think and create and produce a sense of separate self. In other words, when we relax, when we sense our connectedness with others that self-centered feeling dissolves. So then there's uh, the writer Wei Wu-Wai who says, Why are you unhappy? Because 99% of what you do is for yourself. And there isn't one. <laughs> <laughs> so that's <anatta. laughs> So I like the metaphor of the ocean and waves, that these beings are experienced sometimes as waves. We notice the particularness, but forget the oceanness. That's really what we are. So if we can remember that there's a real freedom and a happiness. One teacher who's uh, from Thailand, Ajahn Jumnian, says, happy, happy, empty, empty. You know, empty of that self-centeredness. So how do we now find our way from our habitual modes where we fixate on what's wrong, where we get self-centered, and where we kind of keep on perpetuating our biochemical set point? How do we move from that towards this really, this is really the invitation of the Buddha, towards really living from this happiness that is our potential? And I am going to describe three gateways, three very interrelated paths that, when we are intentional, really open us to happiness. And one of the paths has to do with remembering what we love. And one of the paths has to do with loving what is. And one of the paths has to do with being that loving, pure being. So let me just take a little bit of time, we don't have that long, to kind of... uh, to unpack that. The first one is something that, again, um, you see as a characteristic of happy people, that there is an intention, a kind of reflecting on, and a savoring of goodness, wherever it is. That there is that, that's it's a very positive habit of remembering uh, what's appreciated. And sometimes we do that with the metta practice, the loving-kindness practice, when we reflect on people we love. There is a a meditation I do every time I have a chance when I teach a day long. And sometimes people come to my day longs and think, Oh, I've done this one already. Well, if you come, you'll do it again. (laughs) And the way the meditation goes is that you keep on reflecting on the question, What do I love? What do I love? What do I love? What do I love? And you keep on reflecting on it. And I really enjoy... I get this real incredible pleasure because I get to watch people reflecting and I watch what happens with people's faces. And it's, an, um, it's a miraculous thing to watch somebody reflect on what they love. It's almost like the light of the divine shines through the face, the face opens up to, to this beauty. I, I know no other way to say it. What people find when they do this exercise, especially regularly, this, this kind of appreciation practice, and, and one... Uh, there's some people that have this commitment towards... E- to emailing each other at the end of each day and just emailing three things that they're grateful for about the day or that they appreciated. And they say that helps to cultivate that, that lens. But what people find is that what they love is incredibly simple. It's not, you know, I love it when I win the lottery. You know, well, it might be that, but but it's simple. It really is looking on loved ones' faces, or laughing, or the new green in springtime, or the sound of the rain. And it gets even more and more simple. It goes towards being states. Nietzsche writes this, For happiness, how little suffices for happiness. The least thing precisely, the gentlest thing, the lightest thing, a lizard's rustling, a breath, a whisk, an eye glance, little maketh up the best happiness. Be still. So what happens when we start reflecting on what we love is that we find that there's a kind of presence that's loving the simplest things. And I often will ask in that meditation, once there's been a reflection, to sense after you've... And you you might do it right now, just let's try it out. Just take a moment and, and just ask yourself, really, what do I love? And when you and just give yourself permission to come up with anything. And you can even whisper it softly right now. What do I love? And just whisper. And we'll hear a lot of soft whispering. See if you can do it and not be shy. What do I love? And just whisper. It might be a person's name. It might be a sunset. It might be your favorite ice cream flavor. It might be God consciousness. Just... I'm not hearing whispering, please whisper. (laughs) I love, what I love is hearing whispering of people whispering what they love. (laughs) What do you love? Feeling your heart and sensing maybe one thing right now that you know you really love and then sense as you experience that the loving itself, just the feeling and sense and presence that's loving the space that's loving so now you can be silent the space that's loving is Sukha. Sukha is the happiness, the appreciation, the love that naturally arises when we're fully present. For a moment, sense the possibility of not seeking after anything, just at home in this appreciative presence. And what you begin to find is that what you love is simple things and that the happiness is not due to any one of them it's made possible because of the space of listening presence that sukha, this pure happiness arises from this stillness and this presence and this space that's right here So we tend to think we are happy because of the object and we are not aware of the invisible background of presence that makes the happiness possible. Without the space of presence there is no way to appreciate. Here is a poem for you. What makes a fire burn is space between the logs a breathing space. Too much of a good thing, too many logs packed in too tight, can douse the flames almost as surely as a pail of water would. So building fires requires attention to the spaces in between as much as to the wood. When we are able to build open spaces in the same way we have learned to pile on the logs, Then we can come to see how it is fuel, an absence of the fuel together that makes fire possible. We only need to lay a log lightly from time to time. A fire grows simply because the space is there with openings in which the flame that knows just how it wants to burn can find its way. So the next time that you are enjoying the simple things the sound of the rain or the feel of the breeze or the smell of a flower or the look in someone's eyes look for the background to that experience look for the space that makes it possible look for the space, the presence that really is the source of the happiness For many people, when there is a deep practice of presence, the life insight that arises is that genuine happiness is not hitched to the externals. It is about an inner freedom, about this space of presence. As Thoreau said, the soul grows by subtraction, not addition. It points to a kind of inner simplicity of spirit a space of pure presence that makes us available to life. So we are talking so far about remembering what we love and then sensing the space that really makes it possible, the being space. Some years ago I read this letter and it was sent to Ann Landers the man who wrote it was 86. Now this was in 1976 that he wrote it, so he might not be with us anymore. But I want to read you his letter. He says at 86, Rose and I live by the rules of the elderly. If the toothbrush is wet, you've brushed your teeth. <laughs> if the bedside radio is warm in the morning, you left it on all night. If you're wearing one brown shoe and the other black sh- and one black shoe, you have a pair just like it somewhere in the closet. <laughs> Try not to mind when a friend tells you on your birthday that a case of prune juice has been donated in your name to a retirement home I stagger when I walk and small boys follow me making bets on which way I'll go next This upsets me, children shouldn't gamble Like most elderly people we spend many happy hours in front of the TV set We rarely turn it on Isn't that sweet? The simple things. So the meditation that opens us to happiness, the life practice, really is this natural presence. It's when we say, here, and we really open to right here. This points to um, the other, the second gateway I mentioned, which is loving what is. Our training you'll notice when you really sit and and sense, well, what are the instructions? The instructions are pretty simple. They really come into your body and feel what's going on and be with it. And in some basic way, agree to your experience. Don't control it. Don't try to change it. Don't push it away. Say yes. Say yes. Be with it. In a deep way, um, that saying yes is really as if we're saying this is the actuality of life in this moment and we're letting it be as it is. Dorothy Hunter writes it this way, she says, in this choiceless, never-ending flow of life there is an infinite array of choices one alone brings happiness to love what is. One alone brings happiness to love what is. Now, I often will share that and feel like I want to say, for most of us, there are many times when what's coming up is difficult and it's, it would be false to say we were loving what is in those moments. And that's okay. What we can do is the beginning of loving what is, which is an honest and courageous willingness just to feel it as it is. And what you discover, and this is the magic of presence, that if you are sincere and willing to just be here with what is, just to open to what is as it is and feel it, and there comes some kindness or some compassion, and in that space of being with and compassion you discover a quality of openness and space that really is the source of happiness. In other words, just being willing to be with what is opens you to the space that loves what is. It's a process. So, as we've explored thus far, and we're coming down the home stretch here, that there are these gateways to waking up this happiness. And one of the gateways is to reflect on on what we love. And another is to just open our heart and our presence to what's here and discover that same openness. And I began tonight with some of that, with the research on happy people, that there is some sincerity about being happy that encourages us to be present. In other words, if you want to be happy, be present. What happens otherwise is there is this striving to get somewhere, and there is a seriousness or grimness that says, I'm not there yet. The poet Hafiz points to this in in these words. He says, What is the difference between your experience of existence and that of a saint? The saint knows that the spiritual path is a sublime chess game with God, and the beloved has just made such a fantastic move that the saint is now continually tripping over joy and bursting out in laughter and saying, I surrender. Whereas, my dear, I am afraid you still think you have a thousand serious moves." In Pamoja, the shadow side of this grasping for happiness, it gets very serious. You don't see somebody happily grasping after happiness. You know, it's it's kind of heavy-handed. So when we explore tonight that there are some of the worldly happinesses that can be really, really wholesome and it's, it's powerful to remember what we love and enjoy in this world. And then we can take it the next step. And that next step is to sense that presence that is loving, that presence that is appreciating. And then we also practice in our ongoing meditation, however it is opening our hearts to loving what is right here. So I'd like to close in that way, just do a final reflection with you. Again, the three gateways, remembering what we love, loving what is, and then being just being the space as in that poem about fire being the space so that the logs are there but there is an openness that allows the fire to burn being the space so beginning by just sensing your intention towards happiness towards that inner freedom that can appreciate this life and just feel your sincerity because if even if your mind's wandered tonight or you felt disconnected, you can arrive right here in that sincerity that knows that this is your intention and become more conscious of it in the days and weeks to come. The intention is to appreciate this life. We don't have to live in a habitual way that's grim where there's a thousand serious moves. What about appreciating this moment? That we can practice very intentionally remembering what we cherish, what we enjoy, what we love. And again, as you did earlier, you might sense something that you want to bow to, or honor that you love, right this moment in your life. It might be a person that you just feel grateful as part of your life. It might be a part of nature. It might be music. and in that presence that's appreciating simple things, beautiful things sense the possibility of loving what is right here can you let that appreciation and presence meet this moment with tenderness this breath, these feelings the sound what does it mean this moment to love what is Letting yourself be aware of the presence itself that's loving. The space that makes happiness and love possible. And just be that space of presence, of loving presence. Just let go and surrender and be that openness that wakeful openness. It's your true nature, it's your home, and it's the source of all happiness. We close with a prayer, a loving-kindness prayer that all beings everywhere may know the natural joy of being alive. That all beings everywhere may realize their own nature as presence and love. That all beings everywhere might awaken and be free. Namaste. The teaching you have received has been freely offered. If you would like to contact the Insight Meditation Community of Washington to make a donation or to learn more about our programs, please visit our website at www.imcw.org. Thank you for listening.